Hello and welcome to this latest CN podcast. I'm Anthony Myers. In this episode, we talk with Sophie Duet, co-founder and managing director of the Gilk Cocoa House, an independent producer of premium chocolates. We met in its cafe area, which was busy with visitors sampling the goods or booking workshops on how to make their own chocolate. Over a cup of fine cocoa, Sophie talks about the industry in general and her love of the city of York. Take a listen. We're here today in the cafe. It's, it's about to say, it's busy, it's bustling, it's noisy. And you have, um, uh, uh, you have your, obviously your own, um, your own brand, your, your cocoa. Is it, what's, the, what's the brand called? Your cocoa? Well, our company is called York Cocoa House. York Cocoa and House. And that's yeah. the tradition of chocolate making that we started off with yes. nearly 12 years ago now. Mm. Um, but the factory here is the York Cocoa Works. York Cocoa so Works. we kind of brand everything yeah. that's made here with York Cocoa Works. Okay. And I can see uh, next door that you have classes in chocolate making. We uh, do, yeah. It's our chocolate classroom. Uh, so, yeah, kind of we've got some. Budding chocolate lovers mm-hmm. um, making their own chocolate bar today. So obviously York and those chocolate bars, whether it was what would you say, logger, Terry's logger bars. Yeah, and York um, is still going, isn't it? Absolutely, and Kit Kats, obviously, Kit Kats, really fundamental yeah. chocolate mm. bar as well as the chocolate orange yeah. inspired here in the city. So it's yeah. really about encouraging that autonomy yeah. and being able to create a very transparent factory here absolutely. and say, look, this is how it's made, and invite people to come in and have a go. Great. And we're here, the location is on Castlegate, and you may know more a little bit, but it has a, there's a significance with this location, isn't it? Because it's the, the lady who started off a, a sweet shop here, or something, Gummies, that's connected to round trees. That, uh, yeah, is that almost. the story? Yeah, that, yeah, you, almost. You want to know more? So, well, so in the 1750s, yes. Mary Chook, she had started her business on the other side of the city, yeah. and um, she was a woman in business. And in those days, in those well, she she was a woman in those in business, in, and in those in days, those, yes, good. She um, she kind of faced opposition from the the old men who run the city, yeah. and um, York with its mercantile nature, they, mm. uh, the merchants kind of tried to dominate and dictate what could land in York, mm. and um, so that bit of water where you said your uncle was receiving the cocoa yeah. beans in, that was controlled by the merchant adventurers, yes. Yes. and it was there that Mary would have received her things coming into the city, yeah. she had a grocery shop, so um, yeah, so and then she became really quite wealthy, she yes. kind of told them to get stuffed, yes. and um, kind of they tried to get her closed down for many years and she moved to Castlegate so here on Castlegate it's the road that goes to the castle and it's also we're next to the site of one of the the earliest um, Quaker um, uh, meeting houses in the world and um, it was here on Castlegate that in 1785 they started receiving cocoa beans and started roasting their own cocoa beans to make chocolates and then eventually the black sheep of the Roundtree family, mm. uh, poor Henry Isaac Roundtree, um, didn't know what else to do and came and got a job at the tube shop. Were they, were they chemists? The so they or, were uh, grocers. Grocers. It was Terry's that were the chemists. Terry's yeah, chemists. so um, it was, yeah, so Henry Isaac Roundtree, he yeah. took over the cocoa roasting yeah. and did his apprenticeship there. And then a few years later, he bought the whole business. Yeah. And then it kind of moved into his bigger factory because it was a... 
a tidal wave of chocolate consumption mm. that he started. So obviously those Quakers had a relationship with chocolate that was about it being accessible. And it's, mm. it's really interesting when people sort of we talk about like American chocolate or British yeah. chocolate. And I think the thing that I've long admired about Roundtree's and Cadbury's, the, the, the ethos behind them was about creating something that was accessible to people. It wasn't about elitist consumption. And I think that's actually kind of, I've realized just how how much and how important that is at the heart of what we do. Yeah, and they were obviously, they're both Quaker families and they were both incredibly um, generous employee, employees, employers, wasn't they, to yeah. their employees. They looked after their staff the best they could, looked after the welfare, and you know, we have the Roundtree Foundation, the Roundtree Trust now, and that's still, still going on. Um, that's a one, wonderful. Um, and then I was just want to ask you as well, because obviously Roundtree's got taken over by Nestle, and a lot of production now of um, what used to be Roundtree's products have gone into Europe, uh, gone elsewhere in Europe. But um, there was a story this week just about Toblerone having to um, move. Uh, Mondelez and Toblerone, and they, they're moving production to Slovakia. Losing so, the Matterhorn. So they're losing the Matterhorn. So it's, um, it's globalization, isn't it? It's, it's happening everywhere. And, um, it, you know, the knock-on effect is if, if, if consumers can see artisan chocolatiers like yourself that are, that are springing up in this vacuum that are, that are offering something unique, transparent, traceable. It's, it, could, it may be a little bit more expensive, but you know, I think consumers now, the trend is uh, consumers want to buy, in this case, a chocolate bar that has been sustainably sourced, that doesn't involve child labor, that doesn't involve deforestation. And to all intents and purposes, that's what you can offer now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think the the reality is at both ends of this scale, none mm. of us are doing this alone. Mm. And this is the difficulty that I understand so many people are having within the, the cocoa sector. Mm. Um, and obviously there's some great initiatives to try and tackle things. Mm. Um, but kind of as you hear when you kind of listen to the, the discussions, mm. the, if it's not on the cocoa farm, it might be on the, the cotton farm next door mm. or kind of like, or the gold farm down the road. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like these things, we can clean up cocoa, but cocoa can't do it on its own. Absolutely. And I think that's really kind of, and it goes back to the other side. So I think mm. my question and the things that I'm really interested in addressing is how do we become effective global citizens? Kind of like, how do we take on a responsibility to engage in our community, but when our communities are quite extensive and expansive? And I think that's, that's I think is probably the question that I'm really, motivated by tackling um, we use local ingredients where we can um, and where we can't we work with things that we we kind of we only buy them if we absolutely have to um, and so everything we've been do, trying to do in our packaging is to become more consistent so we can become more efficient with less materials yes. and doing more with less absolute wherever we can and that doesn't always appeal to some customers mm. some customers want things that are shy some yes. people want things that are absolutely uniform and I it's now at a point where we have to say look that's okay but that's actually for us that's not okay so we're not going to do that 
um, here. And here we get the opportunity to we welcome people with, with tastings and tours and a real invitation to come and be hands-on and learn uh, with us. And it's been really fantastic to see just how many people have responded so positively to that. Good. And finally, you've been here five years um, and yeah, it's been it's been tough and you know you're in the kind of um, catering industry in a way you're a cafe you have coffee and uh, chocolate and things and still there's a lot of companies that have just recently because of inflation and costs high costs that have, you know, I see it in York lots of cafes restaurants pubs closing down and so you've had a interesting five years haven't you it's still going you've obviously got your manufacturing side it's small scale but it's a, it's a it's a wonderful kind of operation you have and you have your your classes um what's your what's your hopes for the next kind of can we say five years <laughs> five months <laughs> Is it, how yeah you? do you know what i'm just about i'm just starting to really get um some fresh air i think mm. from the last Obviously, we survived. Yeah, well, kind of. You've got the whole joys. Of, I I didn't realise we've been we've been going as a business twelve years, and I didn't realise when we opened the factory that I was basically ripping the carpet out from underneath us mm. and throwing everything up in the air because actually working with Couverture, which is what we were doing when yes. we had the business originally. Yes. Um, buying it in, bringing in from Belgium, kind of um, actually to make chocolate ourselves was like nothing I realised that I didn't know already. Mm. And that was like an enormous, like we had to completely rip everything up that I, I think we thought we knew at that point. Mm. So um, kind of when Covid hit, we weren't really that comfortable. So that was kind of quite an okay mm. sort of timing really. Mm. We were still kind of pushing things forward mm -hmm. and having to deal with challenges and, and figure things out. So it just gave us a different set of things to figure out. So I'm our main focus has been to, to really obviously celebration of York. It's a place that um, I love it here. Yeah. It's a very special place. Mm -hmm. It's a place where obviously it's steeped in this heritage and the stories and what inspired the city. And um, really excited for York to be on the map not just for that heritage mm. but for things that we are trying the questions we're trying to ask mm -hmm. about how it should be so I think the the next evolution for us is for this place to be a fully open and accessible learning centre where people can come and learn about chocolate and cocoa and I think that for me is the real the real story that we want to be here it's not about manufacturing millions mm -hmm. it's actually about making sure we can share what we've learned and if other people can adopt some of the lessons that we've experienced and gained from it and it means that we get better cocoa getting consumed in more products more sustainable cocoa absolutely um and so i hear so many stories my my real challenge is the fact that i can't buy every cocoa bean that i absolutely desperately would love to buy in the communities we want to work with but through the stories so far i think the last few years I've tasted some phenomenal cocoa mm. and um, cocoa that tastes like roses mm. and some cocoa that tastes like peaches mm. and the flavours that you just think you're like wow how on earth is that achieved yeah. and we have cocoa that can be used as heart medicine yeah. and cocoa that has the ability to be a, an effective drug for anti-dementia 
and these are like really unlocking the most precious elements of cocoa. So it's, I think we need to really change this conversation of cocoa. Absolutely, and the juice as well. Absolutely, yes, and the pulp, and the shell, and everything. It's it's phenomenal. But I think also, the thing, I mean, been learning so much from friends and colleagues in South America and that's been phenomenal but I think we really have to desperately change and help people change this story about what cocoa in Africa really means Um, so much of the story and the language that comes through is really quite disempowering and there's amazing stories and we've got people coming and learning with us who are are going and making their own chocolate back in um, Nigeria back in Sierra Leone and it's really exciting to see people having an opportunity to own their own heritage and identity and I think that's where I'm really fed up of seeing so many panels and it just being of one single culture or one single dynamic of the sector Mm -hmm. we have to make sure that we're a sector where everybody is able to have a a role in this conversation and there's a decent living from the that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. From, you know, from the beginning of the value chain to the, the end. And maybe it means the consumer willing to pay a little bit more for their chocolate to, to achieve that. But I don't know. It's, it's a complex. We won't get into it now, but it's, well, a, it's a complex. We're um, growing. Um, yeah. We charge the consumers more. Yeah. We have to, unfortunately. Yeah. I would love it to be... Uh, we can't compete against people yeah. that have, have driven every ounce of value into the most efficient product ever. Yes. We can never compete with no. that. But the fact that we are growing and we are bigger than we've ever been mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. after the last 12 years, it tells me that the consumers are wanting something different. Good. Thank you. So good to do it. Thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure catching up and it's great what you're doing here in York and uh, we'll come back and um, talk to you again sometime. Lovely so, to know.